the Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, Julie Budd, is making her sophomore appearance here on the Paul Leslie Hour. She's a cabaret singer, an actress, a performing and recording artist. In fact, Julie Budd is going to be appearing in concert May 1st through the 4th, 2019. That's Wednesday to Saturday at the Birdland Theater in New York City. The show is entitled The Songs of My Life and the Composers Who Wrote Them. Julie Budd, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me back. It's an honor. (laughs) Thank you. So, with the title of this concert that you're doing, how important are songwriters to Julie Budd? Well, you know, I'm really glad you asked that question, because when, when we were thinking about putting the show together, it became um, kind of a thought, you know, what, what will we do? this time. I haven't been here in New York in about three years. I can't believe how time flew by. It's been three years. And I thought, how do I want to say hello again to the audience, you know? And I was thinking to myself, what really brings us here? And what brings us here, oh, well, what brings me here for sure, is the fact that I've been so lucky to have known marvelous, talented people throughout my entire career. I'm singing since I'm 12 years old. And I started thinking about all the talent that I grew up knowing. Julie Stein and Irving Caesar and Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields and, uh, you know, Marvin Hamlish, uh, Michelle Graham, um, the new people like Mark Shaman and, you know, people like that. I just thought to myself, and my composer, uh, orchestrator, Herb Bernstein, and and Steve Dorff, and Artie Butler, and and Charlie Fox, and all these wonderful people. And I thought to myself, you know, when you really think about it, if a singer is not um, an actively busy composer, you know, if if their career is not about what they compose, it's about songs that they interpret. Really, you owe everything to the folks that give you something to do when you get up there and go to work. And and what's really great about it is that I knew all these people. So I'm just not, oh, picking a composer I like, like people will do an evening of Sondheim, or they'll do an evening of Andrew Lloyd, you know, and they've never been in the room with these people. But I knew all of these brilliant wonderful, generous people. And I wanted to pay tribute to them and that they, they've been so good to me over the years. Got a string around my finger 
So tell us a little more about this show that you're doing, this particular one. Is there maybe a song that you perform that in particular the audience just always seems to be spellbound by? That's an interesting question. That's a very interesting question. You know, it's not always the most obvious piece of material that that happens with. You know, sometimes you would think that that would happen with, like, the hugest number in the show, you know, or um, the most famous song, and everybody goes, oh, I love... There's a song called Little Boy of Mine, and it was written by my conductor, Herb Bernstein. Whenever I do that song, wherever I do that song, I could do it in France, I could do it in Brooklyn, it doesn't matter. Wherever I do it, it seems to connect to people in a very, very personal way. And it's interesting how it's not a a song that was a hit, and it's not a song that was in a movie, although it could be. It's uh, it's an obscure piece, and yet it has that effect on people. Not that the other songs don't, but it 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 it, it sort of fills a very personal moment. And and people come up to me all the time after the show, and they ask me, "Oh, where can I get that song?" And I tell you know I've recorded it, but it's it's funny how it's not always the most obvious piece. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it really is, and I like that that it's that way because it's sort of it opens the door to discovering something in a show that ordinarily you know, you wouldn't think that that would be the case. Hmm. Live performance is like that. And and that's why I, I like working live and I like putting shows together. Because even though you could be in the business over 50 years, as I am, you're always surprised by what happens. You never know how to read something. You think you do. And your experience tells you some things, but in truth, you never, never really know what's going to happen. It's uh, it's a little bit like a free-floating experience. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. It really is. It's like the element of surprise is is a, a factor. It is always the element of surprise. And I'll tell you something else about live performance that's funny about what you just said, the element of surprise. From night to night, you never know how it's going to go. Mm. The energy is, yeah, it's really funny. The energy in the in the auditorium, in the concert hall, in the venue, wherever you're performing, is different from night to night. And you're different from night to night. It, it's just, it's so interesting. I wonder if there's been a book written about this. <laughs> <laughs> because it really is. It's very interesting. Maybe there needs to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get busy, kiddo. Get busy. At the beginning of the interview, you were listing a lot of these composers and lyricists, and it was occurring to me that so many of those songwriters were songs that were also recorded 
by Frank Sinatra. He used a lot of these songwriters that you mentioned. And I was just listening to Remembering Mr. Sinatra, your album. Uh, I thank you for listening to it. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, it's a great, great collection. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I didn't want to imitate or try to be like, you know, I worked with Mr. Sinatra and I got to know him. And so I wanted to to do material that I remembered that was performed in the shows and and I wanted to do them as organically and as truthfully as I could. I didn't want to imitate anything. And because there are so many people that do Sinatra material that try to do it the way he did it and take on the persona of him. And I'm not really a fan of that kind of work. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, and I don't think Mr. Sinatra was either, to be honest with you. As a matter of fact, he said to me, he made me promise. (laughs) Could you believe this? He made me promise him when I was 16 years old, that I would continue to do these songs. And I remember him saying to me, you know, Julie, if you don't do it, and if your generation doesn't do it, it's going to be as if it never happened. He said, and that's just the way legacy is. You know, you have to pass the baton. You have to keep doing the material. And even if you decide to do it slightly differently, you have to do the material or no one will know it was ever here. Hmm. And he and he made me promise that. I don't know if you knew that, but he made me promise him that I would continue to do this material. What would you say is the greatest lesson you learned from Sinatra? Well, there were a lot of things. You know, he was a very complicated man. And it wasn't because he wasn't a nice person. On the contrary, he was a very nice person. But he, but fame, it taught me something at such a young age. Fame is complicating and it complicates your life. And once you become legendary on that level, nothing is ever going to be the same again. And I think, quite frankly, I think he wore it all very well. You know, even with all the stories that people had about him and the things that people said, which half of it probably wasn't even true. The thing that I learned about Frank Sinatra, he had, he wore it all pretty well when I think about it. And he had a lot of integrity when it came to his work. He never just relaxed and said, hey, I'm famous and I'm going to show up and They're going to be glad I'm there so, you know, I could relax with all of this now. That was not the way he approached his work. I did not see that as being so. He was just as committed and just as serious about each show and each performance, you know, later in his career as he was, you know, if he was a young guy just starting out and you know, carving his way, you know, his pathway. He never, never, never relaxed with that. And that was the thing I actually loved about him. And another thing that I loved about him was that he was very cognizant about putting great people around him. 
I don't know how many shows that you saw that he, you know, actually did live. But I noticed in every show, he always thanked the people around him. And maybe that's what I'm doing a little bit in this show that I'm doing at Birdland in May, that I'm thanking the people around me, the writers, the producers, the lyricists. You know, that's something that Mr. Sinatra would have done. And he did that in all of his shows. He always thanked the musicians and he would always say, this is a terrific, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein song. And this is a great Cole Porter piece. And, and he, would, he would thank people that the mainstream audience didn't know. Like he would say, this is a fantastic Don Costa arrangement. You know, had it not been for Frank Sinatra thanking a lot of these behind-the-scenes people, it's possible that the average public that buys the records wouldn't even know who these folks were. And and he created a, a sort of forum for them. And I think that's what I like the most about him. And it's funny, I didn't even realize it until I was saying it to you just now, but I think that's kind of what I'm doing in this show. That's That's very much what I'm doing. From Julie Budd's album, Remembering Mr. Sinatra, The Best is Yet to Come, here on the Paul Leslie Hour. Just pick me a plum You came along Everything's Getting back to the show You were just mentioning a second ago And again, for all the listeners It's May 1st through the 4th And that's going to be at the Birdland Theater In New York City 7 o'clock p.m. I want you to tell us a little bit about that venue Yeah, you know, it's their new theater They have two venues they have the one upstairs, which is basically their jazz room. And they put a lot of the big bands in that room. And, you know, they do those kinds of shows there. And then downstairs, there's a theater. There's a beautiful little theater. It's brand new. And by the way, I should tell all your listeners that the menu is fantastic. They have a wonderful kitchen. And all you folks that are listening, if you feel like coming, and I hope you do, you could have dinner there. It's kind of like, remember the old-fashioned supper clubs? Oh, yeah. But it's a theater. It's a, it's a beautiful little theater with um, a beautiful stage. And, um, of course, I'll be bringing my musicians. But it's an intimate, elegant, very clean beautiful, brand new venue, and it's called the Birdland Theater. And as I said, if it's a seven o'clock show, you could show up at six o'clock or quarter to six and you can have a full dinner, beautiful menu, great desserts, and they have a really fine chef. And then you could sit and, and reminisce about some of these wonderful writers with me and enjoy the music. And you can have this beautiful full evening and everything's in one spot. You don't have to run around for it or worry, where am I going for dinner? Or 
And they don't rush you out after the show. You could take your time and have your dessert. And, and I actually come out after the show and uh, sign the CDs and meet everybody after the show. So it's a very, very uh, warm and inclusive evening. I, I would think it's, it's got to be a treat for the audience to have that kind of night. Well, as Shakespeare said, if music be the food of love, play on. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope you'll be there. Well, unfortunately, I'm in Atlanta for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so Are you? I love Atlanta, by the way. You'll have to come down sometime. I want to. I want to. <laughs> I love Atlanta. You know, years ago when I was a kid, I used to play at a place. It's, I don't know if it's there anymore. Everybody played there. Joan Rivers played there, and David Brenner played there, and I played there. It was a great place. Clint Holmes played there. It was called um, the Hyatt Regency, and they had a room there. And everybody came in. Whoever passed through Atlanta, it was on Peachtree, I think it was. Yep. And, um, yeah, and it was a great room. And everybody, we all used to play there. And then I, I worked the Fox Theater, believe it or not. I'll tell you how many years ago it was. I was a kid with Red Skelton. Could you believe it? Wow. Yeah, that was at the Fox Theater. Beautiful, beautiful landmark theater. And, um, of course, they have a wonderful symphony there. I like Atlanta. I'd love to come back to Atlanta. Now, you work with singers sometimes. And I'm hoping you can tell us because we probably have a lot of people listening who are singers. You mean in the coaching? You mean in the coaching capacity? Yes. 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 What do you think is the biggest mistake that singers make? Well, any performer, I think, when they push, when they want to please too much, and they lose connection with themselves. And it can hurt your instrument in a lot of ways to do that. I think the most important thing to do is to rehearse like you're a mad woman, you know, like it's your last day on earth and get it to the point where you're so now at home with your material and you're, and you feel confident to get up and do it and that it belongs to you. You understand it, you've, you've, you've discovered it, you've worked on it on many, many, many deep levels. Not just vocally, but emotionally and orchestrally. And, and in all the ways that you really, you really need to, to really be at one with the piece. And then, and then go out there and just trust yourself. And that's the biggest thing that performers, actors, dancers, it really doesn't matter what area you are, you are performing in. You really need to trust yourself that you've done your work and, and now go out and do it. And it's the hardest thing for a performer to do. And, and it takes a long time to settle in with material. Sometimes it can take years to settle in with pieces, but you have to trust yourself. And young performers, not just young performers, but even even people who are who are seasoned professionals, 
you have to trust that you've done your work and that you believe in it and you're going to go out there and you're going to connect with it on the deepest level that you can. Sometimes you get students that, you know, it's all sell, 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 you know, and push, push, push. And, you know, you have to convey to them that it's not just how great you sing or the sound that you could make that could be incredible, but it's how you connect to that work. Because at the end of the day, it's really about moving people and connecting with an audience. And whether you're on film or television or live, it's always about making that connection. And, and you can't lose sight of that. And that takes a long time to learn. And like I said, you could be a seasoned professional, but you always have to check in with yourself with that. You know, it's, uh, it's a very important thing to do or you don't really have anything to do at all. You're very well-spoken. Well, thank you. If you could sing a duet with any living person, who would it be? Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett. I'd like to work with Tony Bennett. It's so funny. I know Tony Bennett. He's a lovely man. And, it, and, and I've worked with Mr. Sinatra, and, you know, I worked with so many other fine artists and performers over the years. But I never worked with Tony Bennett. So he should really call me, don't you think? That would be great. I would love to hear that. I would too. I would too. I think that, that he would get it with me, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you to Richard Skipper for setting this up. And Julie Budd, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Don't we love Richard Skipper? Don't we just love, love, love Richard Skipper? And, and yes, I, we do want to tell everybody that it's the Birdland Theater, and that's 315 West 44th, and you could have dinner there, and you could come see my show, and you can say hi to me after the show. And it's May 1st, May 2nd, May 3rd, May 4th, and all the shows, all the concerts are at 7 p.m. So you could be home by 8, 9 o'clock. Not bad, huh? <laughs> Not, Not bad. bad. And your website, it's juliebud.com. And yes, I do love Richard Skipper. Yes, and they can they can visit me on Facebook, too. They can oh, visit right. me. On, yeah, lots of Facebook fans and lots of friends we chat. And yes, Richard Skipper is the greatest. <laughs> You've done interviews with Richard, right? I did one with him, yes. Absolutely. He's terrific. <laughs> I made, you know, the, the I Love New York logo? Yep. I made one one time that said, I love Richard Skipper. Well, you know, he's the mayor of New York. He's just <laughs> the best. He's just the best. All of our listeners should know Richard Skipper is the mayor of New York City. <laughs> de Blasio really works for him. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I wish you a wonderful day, and I'm sure the concerts are going to be fantastic. Thank you so, so much again for having me on. And even though I know you're going to be in Atlanta, I hope that next time you come back to New York, you'll come and say hi to us at the next concert. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. And you too. Oh, thanks. Thanks. 
Album Remembering Mr. Sinatra. That was an excerpt of the song How About You, sung by Julie Budd. For more information, visit juliebudd.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Goodbye.